Hey everybody and welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. Uh we're here with the first family member that um has agreed to come on. Um this is episode seventeen, but um Charles here as always, and then my aunt Dotse. So welcome. Thank well, you for thank coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um so tell everyone a little bit uh who you are. Um Besides my aunt. <laughs> <laughs> kind of even sounds kind of interesting. I, does, I'm not yeah. used to that. Um, you know, you're calling me aunt. So, but <laughs> anyway, so, well, um, yeah, like Chad said, so my name is Datsa and um, probably from my name, you can tell. So I'm not from um, U.S. So um, I was born and grew up in Latvia, but for the last 20 years, I've been calling Charlotte my home. Yes. So, yep. And uh, so right now I am a teacher. I've been for probably last 11 years or so. At Carmel Baptist, right? Right. Right. The wee school. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The youngins. Yep. Pouring into them. Yeah. Building a strong foundation. They need it. (laughs) They do. Um, They're getting it from someone uh, who can give a lot of that uh, to those young children that one day we'll be running our country. Right. <laughs> which is scary to think. Right. With kind of how the world is and everything that's going on right now. Um, right. So you're from Latvia. How was that growing up mm-hmm. as a um, kid and into adulthood? Mm-hmm. And Yeah. So, um, so I was um, born and grew up during the time when Latvia was still part of the former Soviet Union. And so if somebody wonders where Latvia is. So, um, because Latvia is such a small country, I do not expect everybody to know where it is. Uh, so Latvia is, uh, across the Baltic sea from Finland and Sweden. Um, it's in Eastern Europe. So on our West, we have Baltic sea on our East, it's Russia. And so there was a time actually 50 years when Latvia was part of the former Soviet union. And so I was born during that time. So as my childhood, it I thought I had a very happy childhood because I just did not know any better. So when you don't have anything to compare to, so you're satisfied with what you have. And so um, my family, my mom and dad, they did experience a lot of heartache with, um, with the communist regime. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, family members who were sent to Siberia. Uh, my both of my uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was tortured and killed. Mm. Um, so um, we a lot had of heartache and struggles. A lot, yes. And what age are you when all this is? Uh, well, so during that was that happened during the or right after the World War Two. So, but once when I was born, um, I just saw the fear. <laughs> In my parents, because that is what my parents went through. And so, of course, like for me, I was okay, just going to school and, and, um, living life. So as a kid would. Right. Right. Um, and, um, and a lot of times at that time, uh, it was not like there was a, the news did not travel with one click yes. <laughs> like today. So, and during that time, the regime was able to keep people from getting news. Let me just tell you uh, one story. It was in uh, late 
1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a group uh, from, they were the Latvians who escaped um, right before Second World War. So they were, they made to U.S., and they actually started the radio station, kind of like an underground radio station oh, wow. called American Voice. And there were certain times, so the news traveled from one person to another uh, through the grapevine. Yep. And um, so my parents found, found out when and how you can hear it on certain frequencies. Oh. So that was like the biggest secret that I as a kid needed to keep. Because at a certain time, you needed to be uh, completely silent because they were trying to get on that frequency to hear the news from U.S. Because that's how we found out actually what's going on in the world. That's because crazy. Big, yep. And I, um, I still, I remember how we needed to put the radio in a certain place in a certain, so, and, and if the wind was correct, <laughs> you know, honestly, that was to that point like that. And so we all would quietly listen to the american voice so wow yeah Yeah, nowadays you can get one click and and the whole world knows exactly Exactly. yeah which is good and bad right (laughs) Um, and and the surprising thing is that even then nowadays when you would think that because everybody knows things like a horrible things would not happen but they still do so that's the sad part yeah and especially with Russia mm-hmm. being close to your home, Latvia, right, and with everything that's going on, how you know how is that with family being there and mm-hmm. um, you being in America and having your family here and there and yeah, yeah. So that's um, that part is definitely hard. So although I feel like home here, my home is also over there, and um, uh, I did over all the last twenty years, I have realized that. Um, it's the people you miss the most. So, and therefore, uh, it's hard when I have family over there and there's a potential of war, potential of some danger happening. So, and, um, so that, that part is very hard. So, because they are, they are nervous, they're close and Latvia is so small, the size of West Virginia. So it's very small. How much manpower against a big Right. So right now we do rely on that we are in NATO. So and in hopes that they would help. So but um, but it's hard. Like when you like my mom is uh, 91 years old. So I met her a few times. Right. Yep. Right. And so, um, yeah, she's quite a remarkable lady Uh, for her 80th birthday. She came all over like by herself to U.S. So she traveled. The world so i said well that's what i want to do when i will be 80 years old so yep. but um but it's it, it's hard when you have family uh close to the war zone yeah most definitely because yeah. any day you don't know and yeah. praying you know mm-hmm. have to trust god but mm-hmm. his plan isn't always what we want which is hard to swallow sometimes yeah so with uh, i believe that um with god every um you know, valley of shadow is like when you walk with God, so he gives you strength to walk through it. But that does not mean that you will not go through that valley. So therefore, it's nowhere written that there's not going to be war or there's not going to be hardship. It still may happen. 
but thankfully with God, we can actually endure that valley. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be with us right. through that valley and see us and be with us on the other side. And mm-hmm. we don't all make it out of that. Um, you know, luckily I did and I'm able mm-hmm. to talk about it, but there's a lot of people who I've met and along the ways who have not made it out and did not know God. Um, mm-hmm. But I always come back to just my support and family um, because without them, you know, I probably would not be here just with all right. the sacrifices and prayers and mm-hmm. community that's been poured into me because of their friends um, yeah. and family and other members from Carmel Baptist. Um, community's big. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 So I kind of like, I always think of, um, you know, using the metaphor, it's almost like, you know, if you would think of hiking, you know, if you are to hike a big mountain and you know how some, and some, like when I was in Switzerland, there were always two ways to get up on that big mountain. You could hike it or you could take that little tram that (laughs) takes you up. So they, so you can kind of like our, sometimes our prayers are that we want to get like, almost like get on that tram and go very quickly (laughs) up where we want to go. But the lessons and the things that you experience when you actually hike that, then you, I think you, um, you value way much more the view that you see up there. Because you're reaping what you've sowed. Exactly. And you just didn't get there overnight or yeah. mm-hmm. you know, quickly. You went through some stuff to get to the top mm-hmm. and you overcame things. Right. Which therefore is growth. Um, yeah, cause that's something I had to learn. We all have to learn as we mm-hmm. all, as we were talking, we all have stories and our struggles and everyone's is different. Mm-hmm. And I think also every, uh, struggle or every experience that you go through kind of like builds on each, uh, each other, you know, so that you later kind of need in your life. So, um, for example, growing up, I always said, um, you know, and somebody would ask me, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'll be like, well, I, I really don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. <laughs> and I would say, I never want to be an actress and I never want to be a teacher. And you're a teacher now. <laughs> and it was interesting that when I was offered the job of teaching, actually, while I still was in Latvia, I first I literally, I was sitting across the table from the principal and I was like trying to come up with all the excuses I can come up with. And she just would not listen to me. And (laughs) she literally said, okay, so your first uh, day of work is going to be Monday. And so, and I was too shy to say, you know, no. (laughs) So I took it and I started my teaching by literally, I I read everything that I needed to say that was in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I was done in first in 20 minutes. And this is like like an hour long thing. And I was like, so what do I do now? So, but it took me about three years to realize that, wow, I actually really like this. I, so it was kind of like hard because I didn't want to, first of all, I didn't want to admit. So I didn't want to, because there was a lot of people who said, well, you said you never want to be a teacher. So that God always, you know, has that kind of sense of humor. Kind of the last laugh a little bit. (laughs) Yes, um, but definitely my call, my calling, definitely my calling. Yeah, so. and it's funny how 
you don't always find your calling the way you thought you would or mm-hmm. God, like you said, kind of funny sense of humor. And, but again, through those valleys, he takes you to kind of learn yourself, relearn yourself need be and mm-hmm. figure out kind of your desires and wants and develop that, um, passion. Um, yeah. and sometimes it's not what you want at all <laughs> and it ends up kind of what you love. I used to be afraid of public speaking and, Mm-hmm. Um, but now having gone through what I have, it, you know, I just want to share my story and help as many people as I can. And cause I've been through so much that I don't have that anxiety that I thought I would and used to have mm-hmm. even years ago talking in group therapy rooms and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and I also believe that, um, once you do find your calling, um, God is going to give you strength you need. To actually do it even if um with um like i'm i'm also i'm actually very shy so and and i probably should also first apologize to everybody because by now you probably everybody know that english is not my first language but you do speak five well um <laughs> but with that um i sometimes create new words and I just say, okay, this is my contribution to the English language. So I'm sorry. I create <laughs> you know? words too. So. <laughs> like if I say something, because it always happens when I talk a lot, then I say something and they were like, everybody's like, hmm? what, was what, what was that? So, you know, so, but where I will, you know, take a word from one of the languages I know and I will not even flinch that I said something in a different language. So, but anyway, I'm sorry. So if I say something and it's not grammarly correct, so. You're forgiven. Because it's not your second, sorry. it's not your first language. You speak no. five, correct? Or... I do. And English is my fourth. If I say it by the way I learned it. So what so. is the order that you've learned? So the five? Latvian yep. would be my first language. So I grew up in a Latvian family. So, um, then Russian is my second language, although the Latvian and Russian is nothing alike. Latvian is not a Slavic language. Latvian is an Indo-European language, so we have a completely different alphabet. But Jeez. we have a Latin alphabet with soft marks and long marks. So, <laughs> but Russian is my second language. Uh, since I grew up in a former Soviet Union, everybody spoke Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, then second grade, you needed to pick a foreign language. Because, see, the Russians did not consider Russian being a foreign language for Latvians, because everybody had one. <laughs> so, so, second grade, I picked German as my foreign language. So, I studied German all the way through high school. And then, of course, by now, the educational system in Latvia has also changed. But mm-hmm. in, when I was in school, so when you, if you would go to college, you would need to, no matter what you study for your major or degree, you have to continue your foreign language for two more years in high school and then pick another one. So that's when I picked English as my fourth language. And then by the time you get to the third year of college, you can drop your initial, like I dropped German, and then you can pick another one. So I picked up French, studied French for one semester. So I can maybe read some and I can understand some. I don't really speak French. But I had an opportunity to go and uh, live in Milan. So I basically switched my French to Italian. So, um, but like Italian, I never really had a proper, you know, training. So Mm -hmm. I speak probably grammarly incorrectly. So, but I speak Italian. That's (laughs) still better than me. I speak English and then 
in high Maybe. school, I got through Spanish too. I did Spanish one mm-hmm. freshman year, Spanish one sophomore year, Spanish two <laughs> junior year, and Spanish two senior year. Each year they said, we don't think you're ready to move on. <laughs> and I only had to do two years technically, but mm-hmm. I did four years and years got through too. Spanish too. So. Well, but I'll say this. Um, a lot of times people think like you have to learn languages when you are a kid you know it's easier i will say yeah maybe it is easier but let's say with english um when i met your uncle david for the first time i didn't speak any english the very first time when we met in 1998 yeah so tell us that story we uh i we spoke through interpreter so he was there on a mission trip correct right and we kind of we do have kind of like a very unique love story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll try to make it like really short. Uh, so, but um, in uh, in 1994, um, well, actually in 1991, when Latvia became independent country again, um, so Latvian schools opened up for Christianity to be taught in public schools. So a lot of, of the Christian organizations from U.S kind of like jumped on that and created the mission teams to come over to the former Soviet Union and now teach the teachers how to integrate Christian principles in all the subjects. So um, one of the girls from Carmel Baptist Church obeyed God's calling and um, joined um, the mission team and ended up in Latvia. So... In God's miraculous ways, mm-hmm. we met. And at that time, I was a um, new believer. Yep. And so she started discipling me. So then uh, in 1995, she invited um, people from her singles group from Carmel Baptist Church to come and help her with Vacation Bible School. And that's when I started hearing about this David coming. Mm-hmm. And so... So David came on a short-term mission project, like for a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, right when he got there, so I needed to leave to go uh, out of town. And guess what? We missed each other. So by the time I got back, he was already gone. So then David came back on another mission trip in 1996. Two years later? Uh, the next the following year. Oh, okay. Following year. And guess what? We missed you each m- other again. <laughs> so... Well, then he did not come in 1997, and then he thought that 1998 is going to be his very last mission trip to Latvia, and that's when we met. So, um, but of course, at that time, I did not speak any English, so we spoke through interpreter. He definitely caught my eye, but logically thinking, I thought, there is no way. There's just no way. You know, there's an ocean between, we live in a... Two different languages. Uh, two different languages, two different cultures on the other opposite sides mm-hmm. of the world. There is like no way. So I did not really even entertain the thought. But um, before David left, he gave me his address and he said, would you write me? I'm first thinking, um, I don't speak any English. Can you read it? <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was the year. So we met kind of like late July, maybe August. And in that September, uh, that's when I picked up English as my fourth language. <laughs> so I took his address, put it in my, you know, my my planner and forgot about it. Kind of like I, I thought there's no way, you know, there's, it's, it's not, it's, there's no way. It's statistically. Yeah, it's, it's just, not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, 
Well, and then it came six months later or whatever, Christmas, came Christmas time and I found his address and I felt like something inside was nudging me to write him a Christmas card. And I thought, well, it's been like, how many? Four or five months? Um, he probably does not even remember <laughs> who he I am. He hadn't heard from you. Yeah. So um, how that's going to look if I'm going to write him a Christmas card now? So it's kind of like at first I kind of like, you know, put that thought aside. And there was a whole week where literally the things were coming up where people would come up to me and mention his name and say things. And I was like, okay, wait, wait a minute. Can't get his so, name out of my yeah, head. Yeah, so this, yeah. Is, this is more than, this is not my imagination. This is like something is happening here. And so I, um, I thought, uh, I thought about, and then I thought, okay. So I thought about, okay, maybe I, maybe I'm going to write the card because now I, you know, I have four months of English yep. <laughs> under my belt. <laughs> so, um, which is enough time for you. Yeah. So I, so I wrote the card and for a, about another week, I was debating literally with God, should I send it or not? And so then finally I, I sent the card and, um, and I got a response back. And so that started our two year correspondence mm -hmm. via letters written letters uh, because at that time we even email we yep. was not even so was not very popular for like a general public mm -hmm. so i know it was probably in businesses but general public still didn't use the email so so we for about two years we wrote letters to each other and um i did not have any picture of of david i honestly somebody actually asked me like what color was his eyes and i was like i have no idea so <laughs> But I fell in love with his heart. That was one thing that, because we shared a lot about what God was doing in our lives. And, and that was the thing that kind of like, uh, so I really liked him. So, and then, um, so then kind of like came an opportunity uh, for him to come, come back for another mission trip. And, and then it came opportunity for me to come for, for one trip here too and that's what i met you and yep. your family and so we kind of started dating we literally dated another two years a very long distance <laughs> yeah and then one of us needed to move and so so i did so that's and, and what was like what was that like moving uprooting from everything <laughs> you knew your friends family yeah. falling for my uncle <laughs> coming <Yeah>. to america <laughs> north carolina yeah so from from over there, United States always looked as a land of opportunities. So I cannot say that U.S. was kind of like my dream country to come to. But again, so there was uh, someone I really cared a lot about. And so I was willing to do whatever so to, to come. So I would say the first year, um, you kind of, you feel like a guest. And I would say Americans are very, very welcoming, friendly people, you know, they make you feel very welcome. And then after that year, um, once we said that we were engaged and um, when people realized, okay, you actually are staying, <laughs> they, their attitude toward me actually changed because all of a sudden you were not a guest anymore. It's kind of like you're 
you're kind of like one of us. You're part of the culture. Yeah, you're the part family. of the culture. Yeah. Although the culture to me was very unique. It's very different. Like Latvians are very kind of like a quiet. And so in comparison to, you know, like in Latvia, you would not think at least at that time when I was living there. So it, a lot has changed in the last 20 years. But uh, in a public transportation, you would never speak to another person. You know, they're here. You speak to the person like you are best friends. Yep. So, I mean, people singing, doing it, whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of so there was a I did experience a lot of culture shock. That's for sure. And I think a lot of times people thought that, you know, after a year, you kind of, you know, you kind of should be over it. So but with every new thing, you kind of are back in that culture shock. So you experience it kind of like in a nonstop basis. So you're kind of like, okay, you become familiar with this, but then there comes something else and you're kind of like, oh, I just don't know, you know, I, I don't fit in. So uh, I kind of like, I feel so, you know, stupid here, honestly, because I just don't know how life works here. So because a lot of things that like we did not do in Latvia, people do here. So uh, honestly, one biggest thing, um, driving Latvia and Riga, where I'm from, uh, public transportation is outstanding. You can get anywhere with the public transportation. So now I move here. I remember you having to I, get your driver's license. Here. That's right. And guess what? Uh, there's no driving schools that take adults. <laughs> you know? Really? There was one in Matthews. Okay. And um, big shout out to pretty, Mr. Faulkner. So who so was my adults need yeah, driving so, to Mr. Faulkner. <laughs> absolutely. Best driving teacher ever. So, but, um, but yeah, so a big culture shock for me. So to to get so, but uh, yeah, so that's um, kind of like the culture shock, but getting used to it. And I would say it took about seven, almost seven years for me to call this place home. So it's a it's a long it's a long adjustment to yeah. new culture. And seven you know. years is a long time. It is. Was there mm-hmm. some moment where you were like, "This is home now," or was it just seven years building up and? So I actually was in Latvia uh, visiting my family. And prior that, when I would use word home, I always used it in reference to Latvia. And then I would say, oh, and then I will go to, you know, Charlotte or something. So I, uh, but when I said word home, it meant Riga. (laughs) And so, but um, so I was actually in Latvia and I was talking to my mom. And in our conversation, I said home. And I meant Charlotte and she actually stopped me and she said, you said home. And, and I realized, wow, <laughs> I said home and I meant North Carolina. Oh, so yeah, Charlotte. exactly. Yeah. So that was, um, that was, yeah. Kind of like special moment. Right. Right. So, but, but as, as you said, so, you know, in seven years, a lot of life happens in seven years. And, and, um, when I, came over, you know, everything is so new and everything is, um, you know, you try to adjust, you try to fit in. That's another thing you try to, you don't want to, you know, even Americans try and fit in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, honestly, um, it was about the three years after moving because there has so much change has happened in these first three years, moving, getting married. Um, uh, I had a, a daughter, my daughter was born and so so much has happened and so i think from outside 
um, it looked like a, you know, wonderful place to be in life. And so, and um, uh, I actually found myself in a deep depression just because of how many changes has happened to my life. And I didn't realize that you kind of have to stop and maybe, you know, think through some things and, and live through your emotions. I, I kind of like just bottled everything deep down. And so it's kind of like there was no time to really think through and process things that had happened. So, so I found myself in a deep, dark hole. And, um, and honestly, I remember talking to one of my friends and, and she, um, uh, from Latvia and she said, well, you should not have moved. So, um, because and that's, a, that's where I kind of like, again, thought through and asked God a lot of times, you know, just saying, I really thought that God showed me, um, that I needed to go. And now look what happened. And so for me, the big moment was realizing, uh, and actually God confirmed me through scripture that, no, you are where I want for you to be. And for me to realize that he wanted for me to be in that place, uh, was kind of like a moment. Oh, you know, when you do believe God, not always things go. Yeah. You don't skip those valleys. Sometimes you do go through them. And so, but, um, the one thing I, I could share when we, if we are talking about depression, because I did have a moment, a very specific moment where uh, that was my turning point um, toward my healing. Mm. And so um, it happened on a Sunday morning. I was at church. I was walking to the sanctuary and, um, you know, you know, Carmel, big church. Yep. So I had a person come, you know, uh, kind of in my direction and in a very cheerful Sunday morning voice, he said, well, how are you this morning? And I, um, and I said, um, I'm, I'm not doing very well. And his eyes got very big. I can tell like my answer shocked him, but he just kept walking and he kept walking and he walked and he walked right by me. So this moment, before we jump in to judge this person, <laughs> God used that moment in a very mighty way. So when I answered him that I'm not doing very well, um, that was the very first time in public I, I shared the truth. Being vulnerable. I said exactly. So I was honest about my condition. And looking back now, I actually see a lot of God's grace in it. Because honestly, if that person would have stopped and all of a, all of a sudden wanted to hear my story. I don't think at that moment I was actually ready to share anything more than that. But I stand on the verse um, from uh, John A that um, the truth is going to set you free. It will. So therefore, there is a power. I think also one of your guests uh, mentioned that there is a power in, um, you know, when you speak things out loud. So there's a power through a spoken word. So and I think a lot of times, you know, when somebody comes to us and shares a very difficult truth, we kind of feel awkward. You know, we don't know what to say or how to um, react, how to react or comfort them. or, or, uh, we feel helpless because we can't change their circumstances. We can't change their, uh, you know, what's happening to them. Uh, we don't know. We kind of want to jump into giving advice, uh, but then we don't know exactly what to do. So, but there's one thing. All of us, all of us can be that pair of listening ears 
for someone to share their hard truth. You don't have to say a one thing. Could have that person's reaction been better? Well, yeah. Probably. But. Not what you needed. God, exactly. I just needed to speak the truth, to break my chains. So in that moment where we think there was somebody very not thoughtful, actually the chains were broken. And I was able to, that's where I stopped believing all the Satan's lies, that I'm not worthy, that I will never get better, that all of that. So you will. Exactly. So once I said it out loud, exactly how I felt, Satan can't use that against me anymore. Um, And, And that's why I applaud you for creating this platform, because that is exactly what you are doing. Thank you. You're... You're creating a place where someone can come and share their hard truth and get their turning point. And it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is going to be, you know, uh, good. And so you feel like so much better. But that's the spiritual battle that goes on and in, in the condemnation from um, Satan when you're believing all the lies. Those chains are broken. Mm-hmm. And so once you share your story... That's why I think counseling works because you go in and you share your story. It's not like they have magic words to, to feel, you know, make yeah, you all good. So, but you're telling the truth and that sets you free. Yeah. So. The, yeah. The truth sets you free. And sometimes mm-hmm. truth is the hardest thing you'll have to face. Right. But once you face that demon, um, yeah. that obstacle, whatever it is, everyone's is different mm-hmm. until you face that, like chains can't be broken. Right. Mm-hmm. You're alone in it, trapped. And mm-hmm. No one will understand what I'm going through. But mm-hmm. all you have to do is speak on it. And there's everyone, there's multiple people going through similar. Right. And I always uh, say that, you know, like if you, the, the very thing that you try to hide, the more you hide, the more Satan's going to use that against you. And behind the closed doors, when you are by yourself alone, he's going to win every time. So once you open the door and once you put the thing out there you know because sometimes i think you know satan went to jesus (laughs) he dared to go to him and tempt him (laughs) you know so then he definitely is going to to come exactly so he's not going to be shy no to come and 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 with us like so yeah we a lot of times we do believe the lie of that so but but that's what i that was my, my biggest learning point during my depression that it was the speaking the truth and I sometimes I felt like I was walking around like with this carrying like a the pile of books you know and you walk around with that heaviness but every time I was able to share my story or speak the truth I took one book off and so therefore they the weight got lighter and lighter Um, so each time so yeah that's yeah mm -hmm. because I've learned you know, because I never wanted to be vulnerable, always mm-hmm. be tough and not be pushed around and seen as weak. But, you know, it's more manly to right. open up and be vulnerable because you learn so much more about yourself and what others are going through in mm-hmm. similar situations and situations that are totally opposite. But you can still take those situations and apply it to your life so Either A, you know, that doesn't happen to you, or B, mm-hmm. how to navigate through it. Yeah. Um, so community's big, and that's something mm-hmm. I never wanted. I always wanted it as a kid in, like, youth group, but then as an um, 
you know, college drifted away. And then post, I would go because something to check off and, mm-hmm. and to, you know, cute girls, maybe <laughs> that was another reason, <laughs> but, um, yeah. cause I didn't want to share my story. And also I was like, people at church won't understand it, but other people aren't gonna, you know, that's not nothing compared to their story. And my story just mm-hmm. kept getting worse and worse until it, last year. And all I, you know, community is big, just being able to open up and talk mm-hmm. and break those chains. Yeah. Yeah. So th- very true. So, and I, I kind of, I do understand, um, I did not, I didn't grow up in a necessarily Christian home. My, my parents believed in God, but never, um, and th- at that time that was a Soviet Union. So communism regime, um, church was not encouraged by no means. And so, so I actually became a believer. I was the first one in my family to become a believer, the true follower of Christ. But, uh, it took, um, it took an illness, uh, because when I was 16, um, my kidneys kind of shut down and, um, and I was in the hospital for a long time for about two months. And, um, during that time, I, um, I kind of like, I couldn't do a lot of things. I was kind of like a lot of bed needed to spend a lot of time in bed. And so, and I read books, I just read one after another. So not even, I cannot, I don't even remember most of the books. I don't remember titles or anything because I just read and read and read. That's all I did. And one of the books was about, it was a novel, uh, but it was a story about where in a family where a son became a Christian and there were his prayers and his walk with the Lord. And I thought, oh, I never thought about that kind of God. Mm -hmm. To me, I thought God was only for old people when they didn't have anything else to do. (laughs) You know, they would go to church and pray for everybody (laughs) in the world. And so, and it was not like a promise to myself, but it was a quick thought that I had in my, my mind that I thought, okay, if I will ever get out of this hospital, I would like to find out something about that God. And of course, after I returned to school, I kind of quickly forgot about everything because I had a lot of things to catch up with. Yep. And about two months later, uh, I had a vice principal come in our classroom and she said, well, we are going to offer this Bible study after school. And I thought, and I immediately kind of like thought, um, I already have so much to do. Another thing after school, like I did, I kind of like, did not even pay attention, you know, what she was saying. Mm-hmm. And then there was this awkward silence and kind of like the one that kind of like, you know, grabs your attention. And then she very slowly repeated the question. Is there anybody who would like to attend this Bible study? And at that moment I was back in that hospital bed and I Embrace. remembered that thought, that quick thought. And I raised my hand. And remember, I'm very shy. I raised my hand. And then it turned out I was the only one from the entire school. Oh, wow. So for being <laughs> shy. Signed, and who signed up for this Bible study. So, of course, the day of the Bible study, I talked a couple of my friends to come with me because I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So, um, but my junior and senior year, I attended the Bible study. And that Bible study led me to receive Christ. Amazing. So, and then of course, after getting out of the high school, that's when I met the missionary from Carmel Baptist Church. And, yep. um, and here 
the story <laughs> continues. So, yeah. So, but um, yeah, just uh, but the one thing I would say, so I didn't have a privilege to grow up. Therefore, I seeked, and when I found the whole faith was mine. I think sometimes now looking at the, you know, like you guys, you all grew up at church, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes it is expected, you know, for you guys all to follow. I see that in my kids as well. And it's kind of, but sometimes you have to have that journey to find so that it's your faith, not your mom's and dad's. So it needs to be your faith. And I think a lot of times that's why we wander away or we kind of like the prodigal son where the father did let him go, you know? You have to have a tough love. So yeah and um but then he welcomed him back so uh, with open arms yeah so so it's kind of like i i do see you know both sides where it is such a privilege to grow up in a christian home but then from the other side i didn't but when i was seeking for it what i found was all mine so not you know my instead of being born into it taught that Mm -hmm. it's instilled in your head yeah um yeah because i mean that's what happened. I mean, me, and mm-hmm. I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. And it was like, I'm going to do this by myself. I can mm-hmm. do it. And um, had to go on a journey and into the valleys yeah. um, and underneath mm-hmm. the valleys <laughs> even to, um, yeah. to find, you know, mm-hmm. what um, I had been taught and learned as a kid and knew, mm-hmm. but didn't really. And until recently started having the feelings like I did when I was a kid and kind of excited to talk to God and go to church and mm-hmm. grow because of where I was just a year ago. Um, yeah. Cause a year ago yesterday I was getting arrested mm-hmm. um, in Tennessee and what a year it's been, you know, and where I've right. come and where I am now mm-hmm. and where you've come and where you are and able, we're both able to sit here from two different countries and yeah. talk about our stories and mm-hmm. um, where we have come from and where we are. Right, right. And I think when once you really truly see what Jesus has done for you, that's, I think, is a turning, uh, the big turning point in your faith. You know, when you you literally feel like, really, God, you see me? <laughs> you see me? So you you thought so much of me to let your son die? So that's kind of like, you know, messes with your heart and head in a very good way. Yes. Because mm-hmm. um, places that I chose to take him, yeah, it's like, why would someone die mm-hmm. for something and somewhere for someone who's going to take me to a place like this? Yeah. It's grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything um, before we close, any words of wisdom or any uh, <laughs> stories? Um <laughs> story that you want to share any well it's uh well i could talk like all day long so (laughs) (laughs) what was the one story before we close about um the books you found oh oh yeah so so that was back in uh growing up in latvia so growing up in latvia so during the soviet time so we talked about like how for me it was like a you know just a great well at least i thought it was great because i didn't know any better Mm -hmm. um there was a normal childhood and so but then watching my parents live in a constant fear because they knew what the regime can do to you um so so this was the one day when um so my mom purchased a piano 
for us, for my brother and I. And we kind of like self-taught us to play. And so, uh, so my mom was coming home. So this is, if you can imagine, Riga is a city uh, like New York, uh, where there's a lot of apartment buildings and there's stores across the street and there's a public transportation going everywhere. So it's kind of like a busy life going on. Um, at that time also during the summertime, there is no air conditioning. So <laughs> when you want to have a fresh breeze, so you just open the windows. So this is a hot summer day. Our windows are open and, uh, my brother and I, um, kind of like home and just looking, you know, things to do. And I guess we played with a dog and, um, we found some books and, on the bottom of the pot, like mm. kind of like buried in there, you know, um, and those were some great song books mm -hmm. with some great songs in it. And so, of course, like we had a great idea to try them to play on that piano and sing as loud as we can. So my mom was coming home for lunch and she hears that we both are with the windows open. We're singing these freedom songs that are not allowed during the communism regime so that's there's no that's like yes that's you know and of course in her mind who is going to you know you never know who is walking by you know you don't know who is listening who can hear it and so that was a one time when my mom rushed in and closed that window and i have never ever seen my mom that scared like the fear in her eyes like because she was like not sure what would be coming. So of course my brother and I, we first we were like, I don't know what's wrong with this because we were spending, we were really good. <laughs> we, were, we were singing <laughs> so and using tall. the piano that you <laughs> bought us. So. But uh, but that was also probably the first time when I realized um, it's a serious stuff. So um, the regime that we're living under is not all fun. So yeah. <laughs> scary as a kid mm -hmm. i mean yeah and seeing the fear in mm -hmm. your mom's eyes and like and i shared also like you there's also a, a lot of non-written rules that you follow like you never make eye contact you never want to be remembered so just a lot of times i think when people in the early uh you know in kind of like um, uh in 90s uh, 1990s when people would come visit uh, you know, the former Soviet Union, they would kind of like, you know, comment and say, you know, those people, they rarely make eye contact. Well, that's why, you know, you, you would not make an eye contact because you didn't want it to be remembered. Because first of all, you didn't know who you are talking to. So, but uh, things like that. Yeah. And, when, and in America, everybody wants to be. Remembered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes, because I never mm -hmm. knew that. Um, mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so before yeah. we close, what's the biggest difference? Um, like culture shock, food, like when you first came here, kind of what is foods different because you've made prepared meals, which I love laughing food, but it's different from American food. Yeah. Um, so what's the food that you tried that you didn't like, or what was the food experience like transition real quick before we, uh, you know, I think it, it, I think the first biggest culture shock when, when I came, it was the portion size. I was like, how much do these people eat? <laughs> so, Have you seen this? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Because I always, so your uncle, David, when we would go out, so I would take a, you know, a little piece of that and the rest was, (laughs) so here you go, (laughs) finished my plate. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that was kind of like the the amounts of food was probably more like, I actually enjoyed trying all different, you know, foods, but uh, it was the amount of food. So that kind of shocked (laughs) me. (laughs) Yeah, we do Mm -hmm. eat a lot. So. Well, again, thank you for coming on and taking time um, away from your busy schedule to share your story with our listeners and me and just have a conversation. Oh, absolutely. So thank you, Chad, for having me. Of course. Um, Well, thank you all for tuning in to episode 17 of the Rabbit Hole Show. Um, If you have any stories, comments, uh, please email us, the Rabbit Hole Show. 21 at gmail.com um, and then go follow us on Instagram for more content and updates. Um, but again, thank you. And we'll have to have you on again uh, for some more stories and a follow-up later down the road. Oh, sure. Thank you, Chad. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. And uh, thank y'all and uh, stay tuned for next week's episode.